Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. So we all have things that we're good at and knowledgeable of, but we have to admit that sometimes our knowledge is limited and there's always room for learning more. Helping educate others has been at the forefront of today's guest work. Blair Amani is an educator, historian, author, and influencer. And today she's joining us to chat about her new book, Read This to Get Smarter. In the book, Blair dives into topics like identity, relationships, class, disability, race and racism, sex, gender, and sexual orientation. She helps answer any questions readers may have on these topics breaking them down in a way that's straightforward and enjoyable. This teaching style is why Blair's platform on social media has grown tremendously over the years. As creator of the viral Instagram Reels series, Smarter in Seconds, Blair is able to offer quick lessons on a variety of topics and has been able to reach over 50 million views in the process. Blair will be chatting today about what caused her to make Smarter in Seconds, and she'll also be sharing her inspiration for writing Read This to Get Smarter. I cannot wait for you to hear from her, so you know what to do. Turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Well, Blair, I am so excited to have you on. Uh, you know, you wear a lot of hats. You're an educator, a historian, author, influencer. Um, I'm so excited to chat about this new book you have coming out. But before we get into that, how have you been over the past year? Oh, I mean, I think that's how the past year has been. Just beyond words, you know, I think that personally, I've done a lot of growth um, in myself, like, I think that there's one gift that we all got that maybe we all didn't want over this past year, but having to deal with our own selves. And there's multiple ways people did that, but I tried to grow as a person. I think that's a healthy option to do. Um, But professionally, it's just been an amazing explosion. I'm doing things that I never thought I would be able to do. Um, I'm doing things on a scale I never thought possible. I'm just constantly opening my eyes to new possibilities. But I'm also in this place where I'm not like chasing the success like monster. I really feel like, oh, every step is like, something I'm genuinely wanting to participate in instead of feeling like it's a hunt for relevance. So that's kind of how I've been. I know that was like an all over the place answer, but it's been an all over the place year. It's, it really has been. I mean, the past year has been crazy, but I think, you know, to your point, um, it's allowed us to slow down, but also invest time in other projects and other passions. And I feel like just with your work alone, you've been growing so much, especially on social media I've come across so many of your Smarter in Seconds videos, and I love them. (laughs) The whole concept behind it is so fun and really engaging for anyone who uses social media. Thank you. I really, you know, value that. Uh, perspective on it, because that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take these academic concepts and make them accessible. And I honestly made it 
for my mom because my mom is very much like a go, go, go type of person. She's from LA, born and raised. And if it can't be condensed into 30 seconds or like an elevator speech, then it's not worth her time. And I want her to know about things like microaggressions and intersectionality and gender theory, but how do I do it in a way that's really like capturing that moment for people? Um, And so I'm a very colorful person myself. So I love to wear different hats, literal different hijabs, um, lots of lipstick, lots of eyeshadow. And I just want to capture people's attention. And I'm not saying like, hey, Smarter in Seconds is going to replace a book, but at least it'll make you aware of the things that you need to learn about, learn more about. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also a very 2021 way of learning. Um, And I think, so I want to get into sort of your education, your educating style Um, because at the forefront of all of your work is really trying to educate and inform the public on certain issues, certain topics happening and, you know, bringing a lot of topics to discussion and putting them in the spotlight, which is so wonderful. Has your background, have you always been interested in education and sort of informing the public in that way? I would say definitely not. I was one of those people that was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be a teacher. Like, that's not my vibe. That's not my scene. I don't have the patience. I don't have the attention span. I can't do it. And it was like, to be able to actually be a teacher, it kind of crept up on me. And I think that when we have like a calling, because I've definitely been an educator in my life, but I had such a narrow view about what it was going to be like, you know, teaching isn't just teaching in four walls anymore. Like there's online education, there's teaching through different mediums. And it really took um, my mentor, Miss Sadie Roberts Joseph in Louisiana. She was my mentor and also helped me do my capstone class at LSU at the African-American Museum. And she asked me to explain like some lofty concepts to a group of 10 year olds. And I was like, well, they're not going to understand. And she was like, well, that's not the material's fault. That would be the teacher's fault, wouldn't it? And it was like, the most take several seats pep talk I could have ever asked for because she made me aware of the fact that sometimes as educators, we decide who can and cannot learn and who can and cannot get smarter. And that's not really our business because there's so many ways that intelligence is demonstrated. And it's about how do we get really creative in including people in conversations and doing it in dynamic, you know, like just doing it in dynamic ways. Like, I did a lesson on Down syndrome and I included folks who have Down syndrome from a diverse array of communities. And I literally, to to find those folks, I just scrolled through the hashtag Down syndrome awareness. And that's often how I find folks. I'm doing a lesson on by visibility. So I looked at the hashtag by visibility and found folks who have a camera set up ready to go, who are able to teach from a place of personal experience and expertise. But doing this lesson on Down syndrome didn't just educate people on what it was. It also started to debunk this idea that people who have a diagnosis cannot be those the, the person to educate you. And that's not true. If somebody has a lived experience, that is something that expertise by itself can't get to a place of. And so it was just so great because you have the like direct learning where people are learning that it's a mutation in the third chromosome that results in sometimes cognitive and physical developmental differences. But also let's debunk this ableist idea that people with Down syndrome can't teach about Down syndrome. And that's what I'm all about. Like, I love validating people. I love elevating people. I love teaching people. And I love helping people have realizations within themselves that like they are worth more than what society has told us we are worth, because that is the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I feel like I've had this conversation on the podcast before with individuals where, you know, sometimes we think that we're not as smart as we are, or we 
what we have to say isn't important enough or, you know, people aren't going to be as open to listening to it as you would think. Um, and that's such a, such an unfortunate thing, but I love that, you know, you understand that and that you're working to sort of alleviate that problem and, you know, come up with solutions for it. I'm trying to. And I think that it's really important to name that it's not just because we have horrible self-esteem. Like remember back to when you were like six or eight years old, like I remember um, this, like, I was also very much like talking with adults because I've always been hyperverbal. So like the fact that I teach and talk for a living is like fitting. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember like there was this time when we were kids and it was like preschool or kindergarten and the teachers just spread out a bunch of instruments and people were like, oh, I can do that. I can play the drum. I can do this. I can do that. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm not qualified enough. I'm not even going to try not even to get into a discussion about how expensive those real instruments are and how there's so many barriers to people being able to participate in stuff like that. But there's this like childish wonder that we lose because we're constantly told by outside forces that we can't, that we're inadequate, that we shouldn't. I mean, kids pretty much think they can fly until they try to jump off of something and realize they can't. And so where does that boldness go? And it's not just naivety that's fueling that, but it's also just this confidence of having an environment where, you know, can't and don't aren't necessarily the first two things you're thinking of. And so this happens in the form of imposter syndrome, and we call it all these different things, but it's really getting to the point that like women, for example, we're constantly told that we don't ask for raises. And it's like, oh, uh, because all of society is not only preventing that from being a possibility, not having mechanisms where pay transparency is a discussion that's allowed to happen in the office, but also devaluing us and making us feel as though we can't ask for that mm-hmm. because it's not something that's innate. I remember being told by told that by a business uh, professor. And so it's the environment that I really think we have to think about. And it's just basically an anti-oppression approach to teaching, not to blame people for not knowing something, but to honestly get to the point of why hasn't that information been made available? Sure. Well, and I think your way of sort of informing the public and sort of providing your, your education, your resources to other people has been through social media, which has been amazing to see it grow. Um, And, you know, we were just talking about your Smarter in Seconds videos. So when did you sort of realize that you could use social media in that way to really educate and inform beyond just the traditional, here's a post, here's a caption? I think it honestly goes back to 2014 for me, because, I mean, infographics were a huge part of how um, my school was run. I mean, I'm talking about way back to elementary school because there are a lot of different languages spoken and it was a lot easier for teachers to create a chart or a flow chart or a, you know, a diagram instead of trying to translate something into a bunch of different languages and then leaving out one language. Inevitably, we had a lot of parents who uh, primarily spoke Mandarin and Cantonese or Spanish, and it was just, you know, we were all getting the same materials and getting that same education. So how can we make it more symbolic? I also had a teacher named Mr. Walker uh, who insists that I call him Andy now because I'm an adult too now, um, but I just like can't get over my head. But we used to play this game. Uh, we used to basically play like Pictionary or like we would draw stuff on the whiteboard and it was a graphic design class. So he was definitely like teaching us like both fun and method at the same time. And we would have to figure out how to communicate an idea or a phrase or a concept visually. And I remember in 2014 seeing more and more of that. I mean, it was more so in the form of like memes and people using memes to like spread misinformation, but I wasn't seeing that same 
you know, energy when it came to things that I felt really matter, like interpersonal violence prevention. And so I started a nonprofit way back then. Um, I wanted it to be an on-campus organization that ended up being a higher lift than making a nonprofit. So I ran it as a nonprofit Um, and it's called Equality for Her. And one of the first campaigns was literally me with my Adobe Illustrator making stick figures out of important figures in history and trying to add information about that. And it's wild now because infographics and these like slides that contain educational information are so prolific now, but I like to say that I'm a hipster. I was doing it before, but I mean, if we look way back at history, I'm a historian. I always have to do it. Like the fresco on the, you know, on the chapel was how information was communicated. So I think that humans are very visual. We're very uh, engaged in stories. And so capturing that um, has always been part of my work. And I think as far as my current iteration of doing that, I had tried in so many different ways. Like, how do we make a lesson plan available and how do we have it? So it's not just words, but it's also visual. It's also video. And it's gotten a lot more accessible to do those things because the things are cheaper to do. Like now I don't have to have like a Canon camera. I can just use my iPhone and it films in 4K, which is still, you know, a cost barrier, but at least I don't need multiple types of equipment. And I think that it all came to this past year where I was in the biggest slump. And I think a lot of folks were at the beginning of the pandemic where I was waiting for the world to unpause. Back then, a lot of us thought that by October, things would be sorted out 2020, which was naive and precious, but not the case. And I was in such a slump. I just played video games. I totally just like drained all my my savings and I felt like, oh my gosh, my life isn't going to be happening anymore. I'm going to have to stop doing this thing that I love doing, teaching and traveling and speaking. And I'm going to have to get like a regular nine to five. And I started to look at that. And right during that time, I also thought, you know what, let's give it one last go. And I think this is a big thing that happens, especially with women in business and and just being in, in any type of occupation where you really have to believe in yourself when a lot of other people aren't. And I started trying to create more content and get back to that lesson. Like, why are people coming to my page? And it coincided with the really unfortunate tragedy of George Floyd's murder and this increased heightened awareness for the need for racial justice education and anti-oppression education. And it was one of those things where when a moment of tragedy happens like that, I mean, perpetually, history is always asking us to step up. Because we always look back at history and we're like, well, why weren't they doing anything? So I'm always thinking about that. And it's also really difficult to feel like I'm jumping into action during this tragedy time. But it's also a profound honor, in my opinion, to be able to step up in that time and help people get on the same page. And so I I started doing like basic lessons, like what does BIPOC mean? Black, comma, indigenous, comma, and or people of color, a better word to use than non-white, which centers whiteness. And just trying to share my education in that way. And then I started to realize that video was being, you know, increasingly popular. And as a side note, I wish I was a Vine star. I totally missed the boat on that. So when I found out that Reels was launching, I was like, okay, I'm not missing my opportunity now. And TikTok still, I still totally don't understand. So it wasn't going to happen there, but it was like, okay, Instagram, my home platform video, let's do it. And I just started with things like, when do you say black? And when do you say African-American? It depends on the person and what they want to call themselves. And that's part of you know the process of being respectful. And it was just these quick shorty segments. And I was figuring out, like in hindsight, I couldn't do the dance thing and like do the, you know, makeup tutorial in like that many seconds. I'm not proficient in that, but what I can do is talk really fast and educate some folks real quick. And um, I was going to call it 
quarter minute lessons. And then my friend colored me, Courtney, Courtney Quinn was like, please do not make people do math in the title of anything unless it's for math. And she said, why not smarter in seconds? And I did a couple searches, made sure that nobody else was using that name. And I didn't realize that it was a hit until well after it was a hit. And then I started pouring more resources into that. And just recently I've been able to film on set, but um, I did a survey in July because I have two interns, Zara Wakilzada and Maggie Giles. And they told me we need data on this because they're Gen Z and they're genius. Um, and now I know that 99% of people who watch Smarter in Seconds learn something new. And 95% of people want to take that education further. Like to be told that your stuff works in real time is something I wish for every educator because it is it's immediate redirection. Okay. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll do this. This is more effective. This is more effective. And you're not just waiting months and months and months to see somebody's grade as evidence of whether they're learning. Mm -hmm. I love those statistics, statistics, by the way, I think that's absolutely incredible. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why it's such a success is that you honestly take topics, some that are very heavy, some that are very serious and important, and you present them in such a fun and engaging way that's also really shareable. And I think, you know, with social media, especially with Instagram and like the reels and the different algorithms they have now, it's so easy to share content. And to your point before, we were talking about, you know, being in a rut and not really sure what to do and sort of trying to exhaust all options and you're left like, well, let's try this. I mean, I think that's one beauty that I've seen with social media and just interacting with different guests that have come on and tried different things with their brands and with, you know, projects they're doing with social media. I think it's that you can take a chance and something can blow up or maybe it's a dud. Maybe that idea just isn't for now. But I think it's so amazing how social media has really allowed certain topics, certain trends, and, and all of that to just really take off. And it's so, it's so important to also talk about like who has been allowed to do that in ways that they haven't previously. Like women, we've been kicked out of so many different industries and fields, like whether it's through sexual misconduct, like violence, no pay, having a glass ceiling put over our head way too low and way beneath where our actual limitations would lie. Like we can't even see our limitations because we're not even given the opportunity to express all of our potential. We have to think about all those things because I remember like my last nine to five job, I was only there for like six months. And what I was hired to do and what I ended up doing were two different things. And I had to take another leap of faith and see if I could do public speaking because I felt I had so much to offer, but I couldn't really secure that. The reason why I was relevant as a public speaker was because of social media. And I've had so many opportunities in that realm that came from social media, but there's so many of us who have to become entrepreneurs or have to start a new business because the other options aren't realistic for us or don't serve us. And it's not just that like, there's a huge rise in black women owned businesses. It's that like black women aren't getting hired in the same positions in ways that our counterparts are. And so we're self-solving problems. And I think with social media, like when I kind of knew that this was like the direction I really need to be intentional about was when uh, somebody asked me like this, you know, people come to me like it's a confessional booth 
which is a really fun part of Instagram because people think that they see me every single day. They have dreams about me, they tell me. Um, they'll have dreams that I like helped them understand something with their parents. Like it's really sweet if you don't think about how like weird that is, but I, I, I try to cherish it. Um, and so sometimes they come in, I have confessionals like, hey, Blair, old friend, um, I really want to paint my home with these, you know, tribal markings, but I'm realizing now that that might be cultural appropriation. What should I do? So I sent them my lesson on cultural appropriation and they marinated on it for a few hours and they come back to me and they're like, oh, okay. So I would have to choose something that is actual from a specific community and tradition, a nation of native folks, instead of just saying tribal as a genre, because that's erasure. And they basically went through the flow chart that I created and were like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire an indigenous artist from a local tribe, ask permission, look at the things I can do. And if I ever sell the house with those adornments, I will make sure to be giving some of the profits from that home sale to the tribe. And I was like, wow it works. Like mm-hmm. it's just so fulfilling. And so social media is helping me reach people who I never thought I could like on a daily basis. I'm having hundreds of conversations. I'm like, you know, thousands of people are seeing my stuff. People are finding community um, with me kind of being the beacon of that. And it's just such, it's just such an honor. Like I'm just happy to be here. It's so cool. Um, and there is the fatigue. There are the downsides, but without social media, I don't know how else I would be able to reach these people and have such meaningful conversations and such immediate feedback. And it's just like a beautiful part of the experience. And that's also, it frustrates me so much when people are like, oh, it's just being an influencer. And it's like, that can mean so many different things in so many different contexts. And to be an influential part of somebody's life is really an honor that I don't think should be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think too, with, I mean, with the term influencer, right? There's so many different individuals on social media and, and ways in which they use it, right? Sometimes, sure, you have influencers that are solely there to sell products. Other times, you know, they have a brand of their own and, and just want to simply share their lifestyle. Um, and then other times you have people that truly just want to educate and, you know, whether it be ideas of their own or just on certain topics. I mean, topics like you're exploring. And I, I loved hearing that story, that little anecdote about somebody who reached out to you about like tribal patterns, right? And you, through your work, literally presented a solution and allowed that person to go ahead and, and figure it out on their own through the work you've done. Uh, and it made me think of teasing your book now, uh, Read This to Get Smarter. I guess we can start chatting about it because um, I loved reading it and I'm excited to discuss it. But it made me think I had written this down. I loved this line. You talked about how your parents um, and how they raised you, you know, they weren't there to tell you what to think, but show you how to think. And I think that's so important, the difference between those two. So let's get into chatting about it. Um, What inspired you to write the book? You've written a book before. Um, What inspired you to write this book in particular? And um, yeah, I guess just the background with it. Well, I think the first thing is how so many people read that line and they're like, oh, how sweet. And I'm like, let me tell you that my parents meant that with every bit of sass and shade they could muster. Because when I'd be like, mom, what do I do? They'd be like, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to, here to show you how to think or tell you how to think or, you know, demonstrate how thinking happens. And it's all about critical thinking. And so 
my parents were like very much encouraging with that, but it was also kind of like, you got to figure things out because ultimately that's one of the most important things. And with read this to get smarter, it came out of smarter in seconds. I was so done with writing books. I've written two, they're both on history. And my last book came out right before the pandemic in January, 2020. And I did 24 cities in 28 days in February, 2020. And then of course everything shut down. And I think I was so jaded and like, just, I wasn't pouring into myself you know, we really have to remember like burnout is when we sometimes exhaust ourselves or external factors makes us make us feel like we must exhaust ourselves. And so I was definitely in that mindset. And so I was like, I'm not writing another book. Of course, my parents being the encouraging, lovely people they are, were like, Blair, you have tons of time now. You should write another book. And I was like, but my book just came out. And I was very adamant that I'm not going to do this. Like I'm not doing any more books. This is whatever sunsetting that, which I think as we know, whenever you say to yourself, and the universe or higher power that like, this is what I'm no longer doing. Sometimes that becomes what you're pushed toward. And sometimes you have to be open to opportunities and be open-minded, but with smarter in seconds taking off, like it did, um, I had done this kind of like gag one where I was talking about how cowboys, um, are not just white men. Like there were tons of different types of cowboys and that history is very important. And I sang it in a 10 gallon hat. And I thought it was like, this is the cheesiest thing. I'm just kind of having fun. And then my editor from my two previous books reached out and was like, Hey, this really caught my attention. I think you should do a book in this kind of format. And I think that when it comes to smarter in seconds and the book smarter in seconds is your appetizer. Like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know about this. I'm really excited about this. I can share this and start a conversation with my family, but then your meal is read this to get smarter where you're feeling like, oh, I'm nourished by this information. This is like the full historical context and things that I just can't condense into 30 seconds. And my whole point with this book is to get people on the same page, which is the pun. Because I know for my mom and my dad, they are very, you know, woke and up to date on LGBTQ rights, for example. And they very much have their like beliefs that nobody should be made to feel uh, bad for who they are, be denied human rights, but they might not understand the mechanics of things like gender theory. And that makes sense. How do I get them there? And it's through working in this format of Smarter in Seconds to convey things in accessible manners without losing meaning, but then giving them the full context. And it's just, it was so cool because my mom would never consider herself a socialist or that she aligns herself with socialism. And in the book, I talk about how there's like a huge percentage of Americans that support the post office and about half that statistic likes socialism, but socialism is what makes the post office possible. And I just, you know, my mom was reading that chapter and she was like, well, Blair, I think I'm a socialist because it's just unacceptable for these capitalists to be exploiting their workers. And I'm like, look at you basically quoting Marx. Like, this is great. And I love um, kind of taking away the aspects that make it feel impossible, um, make it feel like you can't learn more that, you know, my 71 year old dad has all the things in his mind that he can ever have. And that there's nothing more for him to learn. It's really about making that accessible. And so there's like so many textbooks worth of information, but it's like, it's a $16 book. So that way it's way more accessible than sometimes those hundred dollar textbooks. Um, and my, my, I think just the whole point is just, I want people to be able to engage with the material and not feel left out or left behind because the information can be taught. It's like what Miss Sadie taught me. Like, I can't think that somebody's not going to get it just because I don't have that capacity to explain it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point there, I always say that too. I don't care how celebrated someone is in their profession 
or, you know, how much of a background they've had within it and how much time they've been in it, everyone can learn more. Um, there's so much more room for growth, no matter what the topic. And, you know, sure, we have people that are very smart in certain topics, but they could be smarter. <laughs> um, and I, I think what I love about this book is that you dive into, you know, a bunch of different topics, but you dive in just enough to get people informed. But then you also tease a little bit that leaves you sort of wanting to know more to sort of walk away from this book and say, Hey, I want to learn more about gender, or I'm interested in learning more about race. And that's what I personally really loved from it. And speaking of the topics, you know, just um, to throw some of the topics out there in the book, you really, really talk about and, and spark conversations on identity, relationships, class, race, gender, and sexual orientation. Would you mind explaining your reasoning for selecting those topics and why you felt the need that they were so important to include? Definitely. I think that the first part too was like me and my like, you know, forever stubbornness. I was like, I'm not writing a book and including a discussion of relationships. I'm not a relationship coach. I'm not doing that. Like, that's just not my jam. And then same thing with me and teaching. I think it's a recurring theme. I'm a really strong headed Scorpio. And the same thing with class. I was like, I don't understand that enough to be able to explain it. And it was honestly me not wanting to do that additional stepping into it. And so the way that it kind of unfolds is starting with ourselves. I think that the best way to have a better understanding of the world is to have a good understanding of yourself, which is why I think that, you know, there's so many, there's so much um, dedication going into like school environments and looking at the engagement of students as whole people, not being like, hey, leave your identity and all of your baggage at the door. But honestly, what is going on at home? Do you have a place to study? Looking at the whole person. And so once we understand ourselves and then also a little tidbit in there about like critical thinking and beliefs and values and how intertwined that is with our idea of self going outward. And then it's about our interconnectedness, our relationships to other people, whether it's friendship, which has a whole you know section or intimate relationships, because I think that friendships are more, you know, those aren't what we really look at when it comes to forming relationships, but are much more common than sometimes intimate partnerships. Like we definitely will have more friends than intimate partners usually. Um, at least that's true for me. And so I think that after we come from there, so we have ourselves, we have each other. Now let's look at our systems and how we value each other. And class has to be at the center of that discussion, as does ableism in disability chapter, which is after class. And so they kind of stack and build upon each other. The way I originally had it written was that, you know, sexual orientation, gender, et cetera, was first and then race kind of going based on like my expertise. But it was also a challenge to really have it be uh, at the latter aspects to look at the systems that have been built up around us and how uh, assumptions can make those interpersonal relationships harmful ones because we're deciding that somebody else's experience of themselves is less important than how we understand them. And so it is very intentional and I want people to kind of feel like it's a journey. So it starts with like, welcome, thank you for being here. And it ends with congratulations, you, you've gone on this journey. And I think that it's just, um, it's not everything I want to have folks get smarter about, but I think it's definitely like the starter kit. I want to do a book like read this to get smarter about sex, read this to get smarter about, you know, parenting when I do eventually have kids and can get smarter about that. Um, but there's so many different applications and I wanted folks to feel seen and heard. And so as I started to do research um, in the disability chapter, for example, I went back to my section on names and I realized, well, people have disabilities related to spelling and speaking and hearing. It's not fair for me to say, 
say, learn how to properly pronounce people's names and not add a caveat that to the best of your individual ability, because people have dyslexia, people are deaf, people have speaking disabilities. I met a woman recently who had um, a speaking disability where her vocal cords spasm. And so pronouncing somebody's name would not sound the same for uh, me as it would for her. And how do we have this full encompassing conversation? And so all throughout it, there's intersectionalities, there's overlapping. I talk about intersectionality, but I really want it to be this more practical book that we give people when they go on a new chapter of their life, than just keep giving people all the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. Cause like, how is that really going to help you understand your roommate? It's Mm -hmm. not, but this book might. Yeah, well, you brought up uh, the disability chapter, and that also made me think of sort of the chapter on gender and and just, I guess, identity in general. And and I guess my biggest takeaway from some of those chapters was that, you know, you reference a lot that if you're unsure about somebody's identity, um, how they identify themselves, ask them. <laughs> ask them what they would prefer, um, how they identify, and, and all of that. And I think that just... I mean, don't we learn that like in school on day one? Like if you have a question, ask it. <laughs> don't go around not knowing the answer. That and like, it's okay to not have answers. I think that's been a big part too, is that like, we don't need to know. You know, like um, I think a big thing recently that's I've been experiencing is um, folks wanting to ask, okay, but where's your name from? Where are you from? And I'm like, honestly, unless you're like, an investigator or working the census or like Homeland Security, you don't really need to know those things about people. And we don't have to, you know, interrogate folks. And it's also been making me really conscious, especially I think being on social media, how many questions we ask where we're not actually waiting for the answer. We're just kind of asking to ask like, hi, how are you? Do you actually care how somebody is? It's a very American thing as like my European friends have told me, like usually Americans don't wait for the answer. It's just kind of like the extension of hello. Um, And I think that people have been more intentional. And I really think it's the perfect time for this book because so many of us have had to sit and not been able to escape from the realities of what our fellow humans are going through. Um, I think that there's been an increase in compassion. I've seen it myself. And I think that folks want this material. They want to know what to do. My mom wants to know how to ask somebody their pronouns without seeming weird. Or is that okay to even ask? Like, how do we talk about families in a way that don't marginalize uh, single mother households, for example, or single parent households in general? Um, and so it's just like, I'm happy to make the info available, but it's, it's stuff that once you learn it, it feels so basic. And it, it's sometimes hard to go back and think, actually, there was a point where I didn't know what to do. So how do I work through that with others? Right. And I think, and maybe this is naive of me, but I feel like for a lot of people, you know, people want to learn more. People want to educate themselves. It's not always easy for them to acknowledge that or maybe step up to the plate and say like, okay, like I'm going to go to the library and get a book on a topic I want to know more about. Um, It's not always the easiest, but I think at the end of the day, through the help of individuals like yourself, by putting out information and making it accessible, you know, it allows people to say, okay, wait, I I, I am curious about this. I do want to know more Um, and to go out and seek the answers. I just think sometimes people just need a push. I really think that's the case. I think it's kind of sometimes embarrassing to go and get like a self-help book or like get a book about deconstructing relationships or to talk about things like going to therapy or not knowing something. I remember um, I didn't know the word reify, which is like a very academic word. It means to make something abstract, more concrete. Um, So like smarter in seconds reifies 
theory or whatever, you know, that goes from theory to practice, then you're reifying it. I didn't know what that meant. And I was, I used it. And then I was like, by the way, I just learned this word. And people were like, she's so humble. Wow. She's telling us she didn't know something. And I'm like, to be honest though, no, none of us knew what a spoon was before we knew it was called a spoon. We didn't know what that was for. I mean, some things are kind of self-explanatory, but even that process is learning. And I think taking away the ego from it as much as is humanly possible for a Scorpio such as myself, but really just trying to get to the basics has helped me with other people and also helped myself because it can be such pressure for people to put you on a pedestal and feel like you're the wokest person in the world and that you know everything. Because then when you do eventually mess up, because we're humans and that's part of the thing, it's like this fall from that pedestal. And instead, I think I have an environment where it's like, hey, as somebody who tells people to take a seat all the time, sometimes I need to sit down and actually evaluate my stances. So I don't think it's naive at all. I really do believe that people are like inherently good and that when we make bad decisions or do harm, it's because we've been taught it's okay or we justify it within ourselves. We don't have access to something like mental health care or accommodations. But once we can have those things and explain them, and get to a shared understanding that we'll all be better served. And it's very much this, like, I have a very optimistic outview on, like, you know, outlook on life, but I've also seen so much evidence that that is the case. Yeah. I, I sort of agree. I, I can be more of an optimist at times and I'll, I will, I'll run into people who are very pessimistic about, you know, society and everything that's going on in the world. But I, I look at this past year with the pandemic in general, right? Because it's been, it's been a really rough year for so many people, for so many different ways. Um, but I think, like you had said before, you brought up compassion, and I've seen so much of that. I've seen so much resilience and strength. And I think, or at least I hope, that you know our perseverance through 2020 and now 2021, um, I hope it surprised people, and I hope that people took note of it. Uh, because, and especially when it comes to education, with, you brought up George Floyd earlier, and I just, there's been so much that I've seen, at least with my friend group, with myself, um, people wanting to learn more about certain topics, topics that, you know, they aren't accustomed to, topics they don't know much about, and that they want to know more about. And I've seen that change, truly, I have, and I've seen it a lot this year, and it's been, it's been really wonderful. I want to share something just quickly on that note, because you know, I was the only black girl in my classes um, until I think middle school. And then there were two of us and we're still friends, me and Mika. Um, and I felt so much like I had to be this ambassador of my entire community. And it was kind of encouraged by my parents. I was also hyperverbal and show and tell was very encouraged. Um, so it definitely like set me up for the current things that I do. But it was also really hard. Um, I talk about in the book, like what it was like to be the only person on picture day who couldn't use one of the disposable combs because my hair is curly and that feeling like, so like mind blowingly like shattering. And I didn't actually remember it until I was walking through the yard at LSU at Louisiana state university in college. And I saw a disposable comb on the ground and I had like a that sorry even flashback where I was like, oh man, that's trauma. And it was hard to be at school here as much as it was, you know, like uh, nurturing and it did change my trajectory for the better. But there was a protest that was held in my town and I might get emotional again, but we rode our bikes down, my mom, my dad, um, my partner, myself, and we just rode down and on the main thoroughfare uh, in this like, you know, center divider, which is like basically a park, 
they're just sh- like chanting Black Lives Matter and not a Black person in sight. It was all allies. And of course, we show up and people are actually like turning their signs and like showing us. And I just broke down in tears because I hadn't really reckoned with all of the trauma I had felt like having a teacher explain to us that she used to be afraid to touch a black person because she was going to turn black. And then she realized it was okay because black folks tend to have lighter palms and she wouldn't catch. um, And she was proud of this story. And it was like how she overcame being racist. Those small violences and small exclusions made me so fatigued. And I didn't really realize it until that moment, all of those emotions welling up and I was so proud. And of course that didn't change things overnight. There are still problems, Mm -hmm. but for people to take it upon themselves to show up, maybe some people showed up because it looked good, but I bet you a lot of people showed up because they actually care. And that was the best way for them to demonstrate that they care in that moment. And then I got, you know, invited to speak at the elementary school I went to and the high school I went to. And I just felt like this is different. And also to know my dad, who was 18 in 1968, when so many things changed in his life and in the United States, that he feels like it's different. And Angela Davis has spoken about it feeling like it's different. That gives me hope. But I also remember that even if it's not different, and even if it is temporary, that incremental change is still change and that we can celebrate the small wins. And so like, I'm this optimist, like pie in the sky, but I also have something to stand on in terms of that. Like, I actually know people care. I know that a lot more people are listening to me than they were before. Mm -hmm. Right. And I love that celebrating the small wins. You know, we say that with so much just sure. Looking at the big picture is great. And when the big picture looks great, that's wonderful, but don't forget about the small wins along the way. Uh, Those, those things really do mean a lot. And I guess with that said, um, you know, like I said, with Read This to Get Smarter, you explore so many different topics. And I mean, I really think this book, it's going to get a lot of people interested and in, in wanting to learn more about different issues and different topics that you bring up. But what is your biggest takeaway that you hope people have from reading this book? Ooh, I mean, So when I was writing this book, I had this constant struggle, like, how do I present solutions to these problems? Like, I'm explaining race and the origins of race and the extent of racism. Do I also present the solution? And I decided I actually don't have them. And I think that it's because so few people actually understand the mechanics or have been made uh, aware of the mechanics. A lot of people don't even know that race is uh, an invention. And so I explain that in detail in the book. And so my hope is that we have more people thinking about these problems to create more solutions uh, on how we do things. Like right now, when it comes to names and bias, one solution is to remove names from all uh, resumes. And that has, you know, happened over time for, and that isn't like widespread, but how do we get into the back end where we don't have that bias against names, that racial, gender, xenophobic bias against names? If we have more people working on these problems, we'll get to better solutions. And so that was the biggest learning for me was that sometimes the key is to educate and to include more people in the discussion to create solutions, um, but also just to shed light on things that have been put into the you know shadows for such a long time. So I hope that more people feel like they're an active participant in this. Like we start with ourselves, work outward, but we also realize our connections to those systems. And then we start think- thinking to ourselves, I can actually affect change. I'm not just a passive person. I'm not just going through this life by myself, only affecting me. I actually have this responsibility to other people and here are the ways where I can show up. That's my hope is that it activates people in a really intentional way. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it really will. Um, like I said, I loved reading it and I'm, I'm so excited for everybody else to read it when it comes out in October. Um, but I guess until then, where can um, others find out more about you? We know you're on social media. Um, where can people find you and keep up with any upcoming projects you have um, in addition? So I've just done an amazing uh, thing with the New York Times, Black and Bloom, uh, where I talk about Black folks and the myths about our recreational habits. So I'm out here. I'm trying to, you know, kind of spread my wings out more. Um, I have Patreon. Of course, I have Instagram at Blair Imani. Um, and I'm just trying to get more outside of myself, like trying to take this education journey and movement further than just my Instagram page, even though that's kind of the main hub. But I respond to DMs. I love to have community. I love Love to have conversations. Um, sometimes it takes over my actual work needs, but pretty much right now, I'm just really like honored. Like I said, just honored to be doing this work and helping folks get to this place of getting smarter and and understanding that that is a possibility for everybody. Right, and I, I love hearing that you know you're diving into more projects because I think there's no rule book to what you're doing, right? And I think that's sort of the beauty of social media and sort of I guess being a working professional in 2021 is that to some extent we can create our own rules in terms of what we do and what we put out there for the world to see. So it's really exciting. And I, I can't wait to see what uh, you continue to do, Blair. But before we go, I always love to ask with this being handling it, has there been a piece of advice or a lesson that you've learned throughout your career that's really helped you handle your life? Ask for help when you need help. Ask for help before you're in a position where you don't have the opportunity to turn around and ask. I think that is the biggest thing is to let people in. We don't have to conquer the world alone. Very few people do. And if they are, they don't even have the time to celebrate because they're so exhausted from trying to do it. So ask for help. Like when I went viral last year, I hired my best friend from college, Ren Fernandez Kim, because I needed help. And we've been able to grow together. We set up all types of boundaries because working with your friends can be chaotic, but we're doing really great. You know, that we're going into our second year now. Um, but ask for help. I could not be where I am without having run in my life, without having help. Um, and so it doesn't take away from your successes. If anything, it makes you better able to celebrate them, but you cannot handle yourself by yourself. So ask for help mm -hmm. and be helpful. Yeah, right. I love that. And I, I do, I think sometimes- you know, you try and take on too much. You think, oh, you know, I, I do it all. <laughs> I can do everything. And then life gets messy. And then you wish you asked for the help when you needed it. Um, so that's great advice. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming on. This has been so great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm an avid listener of Handling It. So I can't wait to hear my, my episode finally. Woo! Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Blair and that you're inspired to get smarter on a topic. If you'd like to check out Blair's Smarter in Seconds videos, her Instagram handle is listed in the episode description below, along with the link to learn more about Read This to Get Smarter. Thank you to Blair so much for coming on and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. 
I'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.